Well, this is Scott Ford. I'm the CEO of West Rock Coffee, and you're listening to the Arkansas Inc. Podcast. Welcome to the Arkansas Inc. Podcast. This is Clark Cogbill. I serve as Director of Marketing and Communications for the Arkansas Department of Commerce. I'm very excited about today's guest, Scott Ford. Scott Ford is Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of West Rock Coffee, based in Little Rock, Arkansas. West Rock Coffee is a leading integrated coffee, tea, flavors, extracts, and ingredient solutions provider in the U.S., providing coffee sourcing, supply chain management, product development, roasting, packaging, and distribution services to the retail, food service, and restaurant, convenience store and travel center, non-commercial, CPG, and hospitality industries around the world. Before starting West Rock Coffee, Scott served as Chief Executive Officer of Alltel Corporation, a Fortune 500 telecommunications company. Scott Ford, welcome to the Arkansas Inc. podcast, and we're going to jump right in. I've heard you tell the origin story of West Rock Coffee many times. You may have already told it today, but uh, could you please just share that story with us? (laughs) Sure. I have not told it today. Um, uh, West Rock Coffee was a, a, a byproduct of some volunteer work my wife and I were doing in Rwanda, even back when I was running Altel, the wireless business I ran, as you know. Uh, before uh, West Rock. And uh, we, we had helped build an orphanage over there. And I, after we sold Altel, we closed on January 9th of 09. And I had chances to go do CEO jobs in other tech businesses. And I decided to take a year off. Uh, I had two kids in high school, one in college. I had been on the road my entire life, uh, you know, 25 plus years. And I said, I'm going to take a year off and then I'll go do something. And in that year off, uh, I'm going to go spend some time in Rwanda and help them develop their economy, which is a volunteer job I had had for several years. During the pendency of one of those visits, I figured out that coffee was the main cash crop that independent kind of smallholder farmers um, used to generate cash. And in the process of just looking at that market, I figured out that there were only two mills in the country. And it's not like corn or soybeans where it's basically all the same. Coffee's very different and you have to, in, in any given batch, very wide dispersion of outcomes, if you will. So you have to mill it and then segregate it out and sell it down its correct you know, uh, distribution channel, if you will, for that quality. So there were two mills and they were, you had to sell your crop as a smallholder farmer and um, they wouldn't toll mill it. And they were offering the same price every morning and that price it came pretty apparent was about half what coffee in that part of the world was trading for. Uh, and, and you know, you know this, you know, I, my family comes from poverty. My father was the only one of three sons to survive the depression. And you don't do that to people. You don't profiteer on the poorest people in the world that are trying to keep their children alive. And so maybe not the greatest business decision I ever made. Uh, certainly for a long time, it didn't look like it. Uh, but really out of anger and out of uh, just a sense of you, this just can't stand, I called my wife and I said, let's build a coffee mill. And she's like, fine, what are you doing? And I said, I'll fill you in when I get home. And that's where it started. And from that, that just build a mill so that people can get a fair price. We then figured out that the best way to grow that model around the world was to have a business that people gave us their demand. So if we can go win in the developed world, 
we get a greater book of business to go place orders for coffee around the developing world. And that way we can expand that model to impact you know, millions of people. And that's where West Rock Coffee kind of came from. And it's the reason we've done everything since in the last 14 years. Scott, you went from being chief executive officer of a Fortune 500 telecommunications company to essentially being a startup founder. Pretty dramatic change. Can you please talk about what that transition was like? Well, that's one of the more bizarre experiences, frankly, uh, certainly professionally, that I've ever had. Um, my wife had always said it'd be nice if I was ever home, you know, when I was running Altel. So the first week I stayed home and I worked outside and had a lot of projects and just decompressing. And the second week we had breakfast and we visited and we had lunch and we visited and we had dinner. And on Friday, she said, well, this has been lovely, but what is it you're going to do next week? Because apparently we'd gotten current uh, with me being in her house all day. Well, so my dad and I were talking about doing, looking at some investments and other things with Rick Massey, who was uh, with us at Altel. And so we started as kind of a small family office and started looking around and doing two or three different things. And we actually started a money management business, which uh, one of my sons runs now. Um, but when we started... Rwanda Trading Company, which was the first company. Uh, I'd never been in an agro processing business. I'd never been in a futures market. Uh, I traded futures for Mr. Stevens when, and covered his agricultural interests when I worked for him, but I'd, I'd never been the, the sole responsible for writing the checks. And I came to learn that startup entrepreneurs have the hardest job in the world. And running a fortune, I guess on, on a profit basis, we were a Fortune 100 company. That was unbelievably easier than running a startup business that has a mill and you got to get, you know, and you've got to get people to come in to work and you got to get them fired up to run these machines and uh, you got to find people that believe in your mission at a kind of a, at a real core heart level so that they have, they are, they are, you know, empowered to, to do these hard physical things all day, every day. Uh, that was a whole, that was a whole different thing than allocating capital and hiring executives to run functioning parts of a, you know, a you know, multi-billion dollar business. It's a very different thing. And you carry it all. And we had to finance it all on ourselves because I was a telecom guy, not a coffee guy. I had to finance it all too, which is a really bad story. But hats off to the guy that, or, or gal that says, I'm going to open a restaurant or I'm going to open a shoe stand or I'm going to open a retail store or I'm going to open a, you know, a catering business or I'm going to open a, you know, an accounting firm. Doesn't matter. Sole entrepreneurs have the hardest job in the world, bar none, and now I know that. <laughs> Scott, this may or may not be something you want to talk about, but I've heard you speak on the risk involved in starting Westrock in the early days, a significant financial risk. Will you tell us a little bit more about that and what it took for you to make this business successful? Yeah, sure. It's... You know, we all have a life, and we all have um, things that, that drive us and call on us. And um, people asked me one time, they said, when I tell them what I'm about to tell you, they say, I just wouldn't have done it. I just couldn't have done it. There's no way I would have risked $100 million. I, I, put a, I made $100 million at Alta. I put every penny of it on the line, and multiple days I thought they were going to pull the whole thing down. And they, I've... I've had people that I've talked to deeply about this. They say, I just wouldn't have done it. I said, of course you would if you'd known what you were looking at. Now, I happen to have had a specific background working for Jack Stevens, running Altel, making acquisitions, 
studying market share and market dynamics of industry structure, I happened to have a background to recognize what was going on in Rwanda for what it was. It was a duopoly pricing on monopoly and abusing people in the ecosystem, you know, because they had the economic power to do it. I just happened to know that when we sat there. Four or five other people heard the same story while we were having coffee, and none of them said, oh, I know what's happening, but I did. And so I said to my friend who said, I'd have just never done it. I said, sure you would. If you walked down the street and there were two men with a stick beating a woman who's got her child strapped on her back, are you going to tell me you're going to walk past it? Well, it's different. I said, no, it's not any different. It's exactly the same thing. And you're not calculating what do I stand to lose when you run into that melee. You're simply looking at someone who needs defending and saying the defense of this person and her child is worthy. And if I end up getting beat to death with a stick, well, I end up getting beat to death with a stick. That's not what you're thinking about. Well, I did the financial exact thing as that story. And I had to come home and tell my wife one, one Christmas, this is, the, this is what you're referencing. Um, and this is a little embarrassing, you know, but it is life, and life is life. And uh, she says, it's Christmas, I don't know, 2015 or so, and she says, 15 or 16, and she goes, man, oh, what is it? And I said, well, you know, I just can't, I can't catch a break on this thing, you know, and probably this is going to work out, right? I mean, like five really bad things would have to continue to happen in a row. And none of these five good things, if none of them happen, right? If, if any of these break the chain or any of these good things, I mean, I mean, we're good, we're good, we're good. But if these five bad things all happen and none of these five good things happen, I mean, you just gotta know, it's not what we invested in the coffee business. We're gonna lose it all. I mean, zero. The shame, the humility, the zero-ness of zero. That's what it cost us. But we're in, 35 countries now. What we started in Rwanda, we're in 35 countries. We are the price enforcer for these women in 35 countries. That was worth rolling it. And she looked into the fire for a little bit, you know, like anybody would. We were sitting on a little couch in front of the fireplace, and she looked there for about, you know, I don't know, 30 seconds, although it seemed like, I don't know, six months or something. And she said, you know, and these are, these are the most meaningful words any human being has ever spoken to me more than I love you, more than yes, I'll marry you, more than anything. She, she turned back to me and she said, you know, we've been together since we were 18 years old, our whole lives, all through college. And she turned back to me and she said, well, we started with 600 bucks, which is what we had when we got married. And she said, if we go back to zero, we'll just have to do it again, won't we? And uh, from that second on, I, I knew we were winning. I knew it was turning. Uh, I wasn't afraid. Uh, as I told somebody, my grandmother taught me how to butcher a hog and plant a garden. So, you know, if it comes down to that, it comes down to that. Uh, and I just wasn't afraid. And you can't do what this team's done uh, if you're afraid of losing. You just can't be afraid of losing. Losing's just part of it sometimes. Uh, but winning's worth it, and the impact that it has is worth it. And... Uh, that's why I love it. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Thanks yeah, it's so that. awful. It's very transparent. No, it it's isn't. Just it awful. isn't. Well, God bless her. Um, I've heard you years ago talk about your wife. You, I'm paraphrasing, but you were talking about you were telling your wife about how much you had to travel, and you lived in an airplane, and your kids were small, and yeah. I, I, I don't remember exactly what you said. She said, but it I was do. more or less like. <laughs>
suck it up or something. I mean, uh, she, said, she said to me, that's what you're wired for. Uh-huh. You're made for, I don't want to go. I want to raise the kids. I want them to have a structure. They're going to learn to read and write. They're going to go to school all the time. And then you come sweep them off and take them on any adventure you want. And this is what she said to me that you might be remembering. I've shared this in a, in a Bible study group one time. She said, you be faithful to me and you do whatever you want. And I will have these kids raised and you come get them anytime you want. And that's one thing for a woman of 60 to have wisdom like that. She was in her 20s. And uh, it freed me to, to be me and to follow my, you know, calling in business, which is, you know, turned into this. Uh, this business, West Rock, has evolved, it seems, very quickly. Can you talk about how you got into tea extracts and ready-to-drink products? Sure. Uh, another funny story. Uh, you know, we had bought S&D coffee and tea out on the East Coast um, three weeks before COVID hit. So they're the largest provider of coffee and tea to restaurants and sea stores in the country. And we just bought that. Uh, we bought it, I think it was February 29th and March 15th. The government shut down all of our customers, right? You know, shut down all the restaurants for COVID and thereby stopped traveling by car, at least for a while. So 15 of us um, picked up, 15, top 15 people at West Rock. We picked up, we moved to North Carolina. We lived in an apartment building. Everybody got a roommate. And we lived in an apartment building, and we quarantined with each other away from our families so that we could save the business that we just bought right before COVID shut it down. And, uh, and of course, we did, or we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today, and I'm thankful for that. But at one of those points, you know, she was home, and I called her, and I said, well, I've got good news and bad news. And she goes, well, it's been a while since we've had some good news. Let's start with that. And I said, well, the good news is I've had two people call me this week that want to pay me 50% more than we paid for the whole business for just the extracts business. And she went, well, that's great. What's the bad news? I said, I don't know what the extracts business is. <laughs> I've got to go find it. And I did meet this guy. I did meet this guy named Kyle Newkirk, who's originally from Oklahoma and Kansas border country. And I said, he knows what it is. I'm going to go find him tomorrow and we're going to figure this out. Well, that is, that, you know, there's only about five people in the world that can make super high quality super high volume extracts in coffee and tea that go in all these ready-to-drink cans and bottles and multi-serve bottles and all that. And the pump bottles that are on the restaurant shelves when you order a, a coffee milkshake, they pump some kind of syrup, and that's a coffee extract. And uh, so we're only one of four or five people in the world that make that at scale. And that turned out to be the golden goose um, that has built the rest of the company, frankly. This may not be a good analogy, but when Westrock bought S&D, it reminded me of when Altel bought 360 Communications. Yeah, it reminded me of that, too. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, everybody said, but they're three times our size. I said, don't worry. I've done this before. Seen it will, I've seen this movie. It will work out. You just have to work it every day. Earlier this year, we were right here at this facility in Conway, Arkansas, and Westrock announced at a press conference the expansion of this facility and its development, production, packaging, and distribution capabilities, including adding hundreds of new jobs. Can you talk about how Westrock is now going to become one of the top companies in your particular sector? Sure. Well, we're going to do that because the great team that kind of joined the mission and said, I love the mission. We're, ha- we're helping people, many of the poorest in the world, get a fair price for their crop. And they're getting agronomy training so that their crop improves and they're their cash generation ability improves. And people said, I, I love doing that. 
I'm a business person, but I want my business to count for something other than just making money. Nothing wrong with that, but only so much good about it, right? And so it's attracted a like-minded group of people who says, I want to, I want to engage in commercial warfare where people benefit when we win, as opposed to, well, somebody, you know, stock price moved, you know, 1% more than somebody else's. So we, we attracted a like group of people, starting from the very beginning, you know, the first one, two, three, 10, 20, 50, 100 people. Uh, we're, we're 1,400 people today, soon to be 2,000. Uh, and that heartbeat is the common denominator up and down the hallway. So getting the team together was the most important part. And then getting the resources so that the team could actually do their job, you know, getting them the capital and finding the facility and, and uh, allowing them the room and the cover to do, to do their job. So this extract business put us in the center of every phone call from every big um, you know, consumer product group brand and every restaurant chain and everybody who's thinking about doing or every retailer who's wanting to offer a private label product in this category or that category. So we ended up in the flow of all these conversations and we've got great people that run those, those uh, sales relationships for us and those uh, you know, channel groups for it. And they, they all just started comparing notes. We talk all the time, you know, a couple times a week, we just set aside two hours just to talk as a senior group. It's the only way to kind of bubble all this stuff up because everybody gets busy and you've got a clear time to talk. It's just like, just like being married. You just got a clear time to talk and things kind of bubble up and work their way through. Well, in that process, we realized we were seeing this guy has a need and that lady has a need and this you know, chief merchant has a need and this contract manufacturing head has a need. And we realized we could put something together in the center of all that. And we designed this facility to do, if you will, this is about 400,000 square feet. We thought we would do, um, <laughs> this is how silly we were. We thought we'd do 100,000 square feet for ready-to-drink extracts and maybe a canning line. And we'd do 100,000 square feet for more single-serve capacity. And then we'd do 200,000 square feet for a distribution center. That's what we thought when we said, we have this great idea. Well, four days after we'd announced it, everything we had dedicated to the extract business was spoken for. And then we said, well, what if we doubled it? And it took a week to get that spoken for. And then, well, what if we doubled it again? So now this entire facility all 400 and it's now 400 500 what Cedric 500, thank you 500,000 square feet is dedicated just to the extracts and ready to drink space so cans bottles and multi-serve bottles and we're building a 500,000 square foot distribution center two miles up the road to just do the DC so where did it come from the right people talking to the right people with a great product and kind of I would say IP around how you make high quality extract at high volume. And, uh, and so Cedric's a great example. We said, who's the greatest plant manager on the planet that runs things like this? And his name kept coming up. And so we just decided, okay, we got to go meet him and uh, we're going to go hire him. And I'd never set eyes on him. And the first time we met him, I went, that's the guy. Now that's why I know why everybody says that's the guy. And uh, so we hired Cedric and he's saving me on all this because, you know, you don't you don't want me planning and running this. A lot of people in central Arkansas were very excited about that major announcement of the expansion of this facility, which was previously owned and operated by Kimberly Clark, but had been sitting vacant for quite some time. Can you just tell us how the progress is going of the expansion of this facility here in Conway? Well, I'll tell you at a super high level what we've told uh, kind of everybody uh, publicly 
is that we, we expect to start making commercial product in the second quarter, and it's about a 12-month ramp up by, time, by the time you take a line and you get each individual product that's going to go through that line. You've got to get each individual product through testing. You've got to get each line through testing. You've got to get the plant through testing. You've got to get your quality controls through testing. You know, it's about a 12-month process from when it starts. But you're going to see the machinery come into this facility, uh, that which isn't here. You'll see that all come in over the next two or three months, and you'll see uh, all of it connected. And you're going to see uh, two big can lines, a multi-serve bottle line, and a, multi and a glass bottle line all kick on. No one's ever done that, but Cedric's going to do it. And we're going to do it in the second quarter of next year. You're also expanding globally or in multiple locations. You've talked about that. Um, we just had a big win. I can't tell you about it. Okay. All right. Uh, look, forward to, <laughs> look forward to hearing more about it. You are still headquartered in Arkansas. Um, why have you remained in Arkansas? And ultimately, this is a business. Why does it, why does it make good sense to remain headquartered in Arkansas? I don't normally tell people this, but I'll tell you the secret sauce, right? The business community in Arkansas. So you name a sports dynasty, you know, the Yankees or Alabama football, God, or, or, you know, you know, the Celtics back in the day, or you know, the Chicago Bulls, you name a sports dynasty and study all the various interconnections that are not only in front of you, but that take place in myriad places behind the scenes. And that's what Arkansas is for entrepreneurs and business people. This is the greatest place to be an entrepreneur, to be an investor, to be a capital deployer in commercial for-profit businesses in the world, in the world. And so people say, I have friends all over the world, literally all over the world. I travel for a living, I always have. Uh, and people say, you still live in Arkansas. Why? And I said, I hope, I hope that before your days are finished, you'll come to realize you could have lived in Arkansas all these years too. Scott, I know you've had some important mentors in your life, including your father, Joe Ford, Jack Stevens. What are some of the lessons that you've learned from them and other leaders that you've applied to your approach to business and leadership? Well, I have had, you are right. I've had an unbelievably uh, great string of mentors. Uh, from the, my very first job in New York, I was mentored by a guy who had just gotten promoted to vice president. He went on to run the M&A department at Goldman Sachs for years and years and years, a guy named Jack Levy. He was my very first mentor. I got hired by Jack Stevens. I got to work for Warren for a couple of years. I worked for Jack for eight years. I worked for Joe for, I worked for Fred Smith in the newspaper, Don Ray Media. Uh, not the Fred Smith from, from FedEx, but the Fred Smith from Fort Smith. I got to work him, for him for two years in the newspaper business, got to work for my father for 13 years, uh, got to be great friends with Boone Pickens, spent a lot of time with him. The, what, I, what I learned in a nutshell from them is that business is all about, just about, only about the people that you interact with. Everything else, any idiot with a spreadsheet can calculate. Anybody can punch numbers. Anybody can have an opinion. Anybody can write papers. Anybody can do studies. Anybody can do analysis. Anybody can consult. It doesn't matter. If you want to build a business, you're only talking about building a team. And building a team is personal. It starts personally. It you know, ripples out personally. It's only as strong as the personal connections 
that ripple out person to person to person. And every one of those guys understood that. Jack Stevens told my dad, uh, right on his deathbed, he said, all the money I made in the world, I made betting on eight people, and you were one of them. Eight people. He met a million people. He looked at every deal. He had every resource. He had every white paper. He had every system, every trading system, every real-time report on everything. He bet in his life on eight people. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him who the other side. I know who two or three of them were. I know, I know who two or three of them were. I, I want to sit down with him and say, hey, I have a question for you. <laughs> I want you to fill me in on the other five or six. I think I could guess half of them, but I'm not sure who they all were. Okay, this is, this is a question that I've wondered from the beginning. When you hear about West Rock, especially how it started, some people might assume that this was set up as a nonprofit organization, hmm. but that's not your background. Mm -mm. And this will be an easy one, but why, especially when you think about the original you know, motive to start it, mm -hmm. why did you say we're gonna do this as a for-profit company and not a nonprofit company? Because it's what works, right? So if I had built West Rock Coffee, you go back to Rwanda in 2009, if I had done that as a charity, eventually I would have run out of money. And then I would have been asking for charity. And then one day I have a bad run. I ring my bell, I write my letters, I do my emails, I call, I can't raise any money, I can't help them. Now think about this, these women who were part of a commodity supply chain that was taking advantage of them economically, left that supply chain and trusted us to stay with them. If I'm relying on charity and I can't raise the money, then I can't be a market player in that market and then she has to go back into economic bondage and you think she's gonna get the same deal she got last time or a worse one, right? So this, this, this mindset that there's altruism purely and only in nonprofit versus, versus purposeful for-profit businesses that earn a return and can reinvest in themselves and then grow and go from one country to 35. I would have never taken a nonprofit from one country to 35. We only do that by being successful in the developed world, competing and earning a return for our shareholders that is higher than they could earn down the street and providing better service to our customers than they can get down the street. And if we do that, we win, the, we win the sale. And then with that profit, we can spend more in agronomy training and in, you know, expanding the number of markets that we go to. You can't do that in a non-for-profit. It won't have the discipline. It won't have the rigor. It won't have the desperateness. There's a softness that doesn't fit in the commercial world. And it's why, as you can tell, I'm a commercial actor. <laughs> what do you expect West Rock to look like in five years? My ambitions um, for this team are well-placed and embarrassingly high. I think we'll be the leader in this industry, um, at least across North America and probably over uh, two, if not three continents within the next 10 years, which is the time frame. And I go back to something uh, I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors, uh, and it was a statement, and I, I just can't remember who the author was. Credit to him or her. I'm not stealing it as mine. I'm just, I can't remember who said it. But it was, you know, most people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and vastly underestimate 
what they can accomplish in five. I'm a huge believer of that. And when I look at what we've accomplished in any one year at West Rock, I've been disappointed every year. Every year I'm disappointed. Every year we miss the mark. Every year we come up short. Every year there's a challenge that we didn't see coming. And every five years when I look back, we are so far beyond my wildest dreams of where we'd be in five years that it's embarrassing. And so I'm not going to embarrass myself by telling you, but I'm, I have huge belief in this team. This is the best team in the world, in this industry, best team I've ever worked with. So they just need a little bit of runway to get it flying. And I come back in five years and you check. Okay, we'll be following closely. Well, I want to go back to entrepreneurship. It's so important to our economy. Yeah. Uh, as you know. It's what we're good at. We're number one. People don't know it. They go, oh, you know, I wish we were our number one football team. And like, hey, I love our football team. I'm, I'm a Razorback fan. I'm a U of A grad. But, you know, what are we really good at? What are we number one at year in and year out? Man, it is raising people that know how to run businesses, build businesses, and finance business. Look around at state. So what advice do you have now that, now that you've done this and you've started a business, you've, you've worn that entrepreneurial hat, what advice do you have to those who are trying to go for, from an interesting idea to a sustainable business? Well, this same advice I give people, young, young people. I'm now old. I remember when I was, I was the young guy. It just didn't seem like too long ago. You know, I was the guy getting the coffee and running to get the telex just, you know, yesterday. Now I'm in my 60s. And I, I have kids that are, you know, 20s and 30s. Uh, and I tell them and I, tell, I said, look, there's, there's really two things you've got to get right. You've got to do life with life partners that are real. You've got to partner well. Your spouse, your close personal friends— people you go hunting and fishing or go to the ballpark with or go to church with, whatever, right? You've got to do life with people that are going to continuously support you and call you up. The second thing you got to do is you've got to have great mentors because they have literally forgotten more than you're going to think about knowing. And be humble enough to seek them out and ask questions. That was the great thing. What did Joe Ford, Jack Stevens, Jack Levy, Boone Pickens, what did they all have in common? I could sit with them and I could say, may I have an afternoon? And they would answer questions for four, five, six hours in a row. You want to learn? Go ask somebody. Scott, you know a ton of executives around the country. When you talk to them, what do you tell them about Arkansas that surprises them? Well, when I, when I run into folks that have actually traveled and, you know, um, are well-read and uh, conversant across multiple topics and have traveled around the world or traveled around the country, none of them are surprised. They know. They know Arkansas for some reason, and they say, what is it in the water, or what is it down there, or what is that, what is that Arkansas effect? They know. Our outside of Arkansas, in the investment community, the fact that this is one of the great places in the world to build a business, they know it. You know, Driving down the street, pulling over, you know, the gas station, having a conversation with somebody. They may or may not. You know, Arkansas, you know, they may go wherever they may go. You know, I, not my concern. The, the people that need to know generally know about the positives of Arkansas, the businesses that have built here. Uh, and frankly, you know, and people say, are you ever going to write a book? And I go, no, the only book that I know that's worthy of being written. And really, and maybe someday if I retire, uh, 
maybe I'll do this. I would w- like to write the book about how Witt and Jack Stevens were the common financing denominator of Sam Walton, Joe Ford, Walter Smiley, uh, you know, Don Tyson, um, USA Truck, the group, uh, Mr. Garrison, the, the Fred Smith at Don Ray, the group that that tapped into that network and all grew their business generationally at about the same time and used the wisdom and the capital markets insights that, that Jack and Witt had developed. Uh, I mean, I was in the room. I watched them. I know what they really talked about. I know what they really asked about. I know what they dreamed about. And I know what they were afraid of. I sat with them for you know 10 years and watched it. The common denominator that those two guys were to helping people get the money and the insights to grow their business at critical times, not when the markets are flush. Anybody, you know, anybody can raise money when markets are rolling. It's when things are hard. Would you know? Would you give someone a, a put option? Uh, would you give someone, you know, uh, would you buy a convertible piece of paper at just the right time when it's hard to do it and put somebody forward? Would you invest common equity when it's really hard and it's not clear that they're going to win, but you're just going to bet on them? Joe and I had people do that with us. Now, they made eight times their money in three years, but it was not clear they were going to get a single dime back. And they put the money on the table with Stephen Jr. put the money on the table and says, I believe in you. Jim Sal in Dallas, Texas, literally looked at my dad and I and said, I don't understand the coffee business, but I love you. I'm in. Right? That you don't find in New York and L.A. You find that where people really know each other and have a read on each other and can trust each other. Because at the end of the day, investing in businesses, growing business, it's about people. It's only as strong as the intimate bonds of friendship allow it to ripple out. Well, That's said. not very popular, but that's true. No, I, I love that. I, I've never heard anybody say, the people that matter already know about Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to apologize for anything. I never apologized for Arkansas, not once. I remember I was in New York. I'm, I'm <laughs> I was going, I was walking out of the office building, going to get on the subway, going to see uh, my wife and go visit with my parents who were in town for the weekend. And this guy said to me, he said, where are you, you going to do this week? I said, well, we're going over to my parents' apartment and having dinner and et cetera. And he goes, where, where's their apartment? I said, 60th and Madison. And the guy's, I thought y'all were farmers in Arkansas. And I lied. I just looked at him. I said, we are. He didn't matter. He didn't matter. I don't need to talk to him. He doesn't need to know. Most of the other people I met said, well, tell me about Arkansas. Here, it's a beautiful place. Here, it's a special place. Tell me about it. Well, then I'll invest all the time that they want. But never apologize. All right, Scott, one final question. How would you answer the question, why Arkansas? Why Arkansas? Well, for me personally, these are my people. This is where I'm from. My father grew up on a creek bottom eight, 10 miles from here. Um, this is where we're from. And if you're going to be blessed with mentors and partners in life that allow you to get a skill set to grow and build a business that then needs to hire people, why would you go anywhere else if you're me? I can't answer it for, for everybody else. But for me, this is what we want to do. This is, this is why. We've walked the path we've walked, the journey that we've journeyed. This is, this is a big return on all that pain and suffering. For other people, 
Arkansas is a great place. It's got great law. It's got great schools. It's got a great civic mind. It's an easy place to do business. The water is perfect for people that want to come and build plants, make investments, and grow their business. But for me personally, it means something to me that we help this community continue to advance economically. That's how mothers feed their children. It's just that basic. You've been listening to the Arkansas Inc. podcast. We've had a fantastic discussion today with Scott Ford, Chief Executive Officer of West Rock Coffee. Scott, thank you so much for spending time with us today. If you want to listen or subscribe to the Arkansas Inc. podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast apps. To learn more about the Arkansas Economic Development Commission, visit our website at arkansasedc.com and follow us on LinkedIn, X, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.